Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and this is Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers. Always in the company of two top comedians tonight, the brilliant Leo Curse and the marvellous Diane Spencer. And let's take a look at tomorrow's front pages. And we start with the Daily Mail. And here's what they're leading with. 17 million face hosepipe ban whilst water firms waste millions of gallons a day. And exclusive Colleen plots TV revenge after three million pound Wagatha win over Vardy. The Independent Next concerning story, record staff absences pile pressure on the NHS. NHS staff absences caused by COVID-19 are now estimated at nearly double the rate of early 2021, depleting care teams by up to 50% and putting lives at risk. The Mirror Next, Wagatha the verdict. Judge rules it was Vardy's account and she did leak stories as Colleen triumphs in three million pound libel battle. Win Rooney is the headline. The Times next, Sunak suffers new blow as Tom Tugendhat, the ex-leadership hopeful, backs Liz Truss for the top job. He hails the true conservative principles of tax cuts and Liz Truss's wider policy agenda. The Daily Express Trust housing revolution leadership contender vows to unlock home ownership for millions by changing the rules by which mortgages are actually assessed, including taking into account renters and how much they come up with every month. And last but not least, the star, Rebecca Vardy, loses three million pound libel claim. You're not singing anymore, say the Daily Star. Vardy did leak stories on Colleen. Vardy's reputation left in tatters. Colleen, this should never have gone to court. Vardy, evidence not credible. And Vardy likely deleted WhatsApp evidence. And those are your headlines. <coughs> Lots of stories to get through with my fantastic guests tonight, but we're going to start with a really, really tragic story in the Daily Mail, Diane. Yes, of course. We uh, need to talk about the Lithuanian schoolgirl, um, Lilia Valutite. Uh, Lilia Valutite, who was um, sadly stabbed to death uh, on a Lancashire street in Boston. And at the moment, uh, Kate Anderson, the chief superintendent of Lincolnshire Police, has said that they are not speculating about the motive. Uh, they have arrested two individuals. And at the moment, the focus is um, that they are just looking after the parents and they are um, just trying to find out really what happened. Uh, but this is very sad. And it's actually not the first time that something like this has happened in Boston. Um, and there was uh, a murder um, of uh, Robert Bunces, who was murdered in Boston nearly two years ago. Um, and uh, he was stabbed just days before his 13th birthday. And so there's clearly an issue there. And it's, it's deeply sad that knife crime is affecting these children, but they are, they're, they're tiny, they're nine. 
She was nine. Well, that's right. You hear about 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds. Every mm. lost life is tragic. But yes. are they in gangs? Are they involved in drug deals? This is a nine-year-old girl. None of that's likely the case. Mm. I, I, a lot of people, I think, are just bewildered. And there's obviously a, a deep sense of sadness in the community. Well, I was, I was surprised to see that Boston was the murder capital of England and Wales. I mean, obviously, it's, uh, you know, dealing with uh, something like murders, you get very low numbers. Uh, so, you know, just a few can, can make you become an outlier. Um, and Boston's, you know, not, not a huge metropolis. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's shocking. And uh, there are, I mean, it lists some of the child murders in the, in the UK in the last year. And uh, yeah, it really is shocking. And uh, as you say, a lot of them are around the sort of the mid-teens rather than, you know, as young as nine, which, you know, is surely just a, a complete aberration. Uh, you've got to hope. But, um, but yeah, just the, the number of teenagers, uh, teenagers getting killed. I mean, I, I used to work in criminal intelligence and there is an age between uh, the sort of mid-teens to the to the early 20s um, with uh, is, is most most of the sort of violent uh, sort of senseless crime obviously some some crime is you know committed for a purpose you know for the acquisition of yeah premeditated yeah. or, or for the acquisition of wealth but for the senseless violence it's, it's generally uh, teenage teenage boys and, and very young men normally when the empathy is not there uh, yeah. and, and that sometimes comes in later life. The mentality of someone that can stab a nine-year-old to death. I mean, yeah. You're dealing with a, a very troubled individual. Yeah, yeah. We, well, we don't know the, the details, so, I mean, we're, we're speculating. You're dealing with, uh, let's be honest, an, uh, a reprehensible mm. and evil individual. A, a shocking story, um, but one we have to cover because it's one of the big stories from tomorrow's papers. Moving mm. on now to Saturday's Guardian. And, Leo, it seems like justice is finally served with a load of cash. Yeah, so, uh, so slightly cheerier, uh, with just 30,000 people getting ill from infected blood. Uh, no, this, this is another, this is another uh, you know, tragic story. So there's uh, a contaminated blood scandal, uh, and a judge has ruled, that, or the chair of the, the inquiry examining the scandal has, has ruled that each person who is infected uh, with, this, uh, with this blood uh, should receive at least £100,000. So during the 70s and the 80s, when they weren't properly screening blood for, for hepatitis and HIV and things like that, um, 30,000 people became severely ill from these diseases, which obviously, you know, in, uh, around about then, you know, now they're not, they're not a death sentence, but in the 70s and 80s, they, a, lot, a lot of them died. There's 4,000 surviving victims, uh, so they've been recommended to, to be paid £100,000 each, which is going to come to 400 million but I mean it's almost as if the, the government's been sort of putting off um, paying this uh, because they know that the people are dying I mean they've already gone from like you know 30,000 down to down to just 4,000 surviving victims so you know the longer they can kick the can down the road the less they have to pay in compensation so yeah the Boris Johnson was urged uh, to immediately pay the interim amounts to, to the people who, who deserve it and rightly he did so well, the inquiry began in 2018, and we're only now in 2022 giving these people the compensation. And uh, they're saying that one of these people is dying every four days. Mm. So, yes, pay them without delay. Yeah. Although, as a taxpayer, you know, part of me, no, no, just pay them. Just pay them. Do it, do it. Do it. Just pay yeah. them. Yeah, and, and, and make it timely. As the latest trial of the century comes to an end, tomorrow's Independent has a wag wagging her finger, Diane. So, finally, Colleen Rooney says the costly Vardy case 
should never have gone to court in times of such hardship. Yes, 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 yes. We hear this, <laughs> but what we're hearing really is Colleen was right. And that is what we care about. You see, now, obviously, they tried to solve this case outside of the court. And they tried to say to Vardy, well, let's settle outside of court. And Vardy always said no. And you think to yourself, well, why would you say no to this? And the reason is, when Vardy was last seen in the public eye, she was named as the snitch. October <laughs> 2019, the snitch. Rebecca Vardy's account. Now, who do you then instantly not invite to anything that is anything to do with celebrities, right? Rebecca Vardy. So suddenly, her source of income, her source of celebrity has been cut off because everybody in that world suddenly goes, oh, she's the leak. So, of course, she has no way to make any money. She has no way to kind of feed information to the sun. So, of course, she needed to drag it through the court because you think to yourself, why would you dra drag this through the court because you're a Ve Rebecca Vardy? Because you know you did wrong and you know that you got your agent to leak all these things. I mean... I'm, I'm saying this, but she has just been proven guilty and I'm not the one who lost my phone in the North Sea, right, <laughs> and accidentally deleted WhatsApp because I forgot how it worked, mm, of course. And so the reason why she wouldn't settle out of court, in my opinion, is now her name has been splashed all over the papers. She's hoping for a celebrity coach trip possibly a come dine with me. She's just hoping that her name has just about come to the top enough that she can go on Loose Women. Oh, no, I've been, oh, I've been poorly treated. She'll try and come on yeah. our shows. She'll try and come. She's going to try and get some money out of it because no one will ever trust her again to go inside the inner secret celebrity The service. classic redemption story. Don't, don't we love a redemption story when she, she comes back and, and atones? They're already, they're already talking about a possible TV show, a book deal, even a movie. So even though uh, apparently the, the legal fees for both of them, which I think they're going to fall on Vardy's shoulders, uh, is a million pounds each. So, you know, even even for a footballer's wife, that's that's a lot to go to your husband and say, can you write me a cheque, please? You know, that's, that's, that's a lot like of money. A pair of earrings and a handbag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this this is a dispute that should have been settled in a Weatherspoons car park. This is an absolute nonsense. Yeah, but only if they did it pay-per-view. <laughs> I'd like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> and now, Diane, uh, uh, Colleen Rooney, is the queen of the wags. She reigns supreme. <laughs> well, she always was the queen of the, the wags, you know. Um, that is why Rebecca Varky, Varky? Vardy targeted her and that's why she sort of went and sat behind her because then she told the paparazzi no snap me with Var with uh, Rooney and the rest of it and why she cozied up to her it's all been like this big plan to kind of get into like that D-list celebrity zone. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't take on uh, Colleen Rooney at, at, uh, at your peril. You take her on at your peril, don't you? Because this is a woman who has preserved her marriage through many infidelities and problems with Ray Wayne. She's stuck with him. So she's a survivor. Mm. She is a survivor. She's a very shrewd woman. And I think that... Um, I, I really think that Rebecca Vardy really pushed this to be in court. She wanted to kind of do an Anna Delvey. She wanted to turn up in court each day and get snapped for her fashion. She wanted Who's to be, Anna Delvey? She is the, she is the woman, uh, Anna Sorokin. Uh, they made a Netflix series. She was the mm. uh, woman who lied about being a German heiress, uh, yes. a billionaire heiress. And she basically sort of made a spectacle of herself in the court by sort of turning it into a fashion show. Mm. That's what Rebecca Vardy wanted to do. And she wanted to kind of claw her way back into the public eye. Mm. Uh, but now she's 
I don't know. We'll see th- what happens. I think you're giving her too much credit. I think she's just an idiot who thought she could, like, <laughs> beat the legal system by lying. And she's welcome to sue me if she, if she wants to. You know what I mean? Sorry, I dropped, my, I dropped my phone in Loch Ness. Isn't this also a grotesque example of, of wasted wealth? Yeah. You know, yeah, conspicuous consumption. Yeah, the He's only the only service. winners here are the lawyers, as as in any legal case like this. You know, the the lawyers are going home with a million pounds on each side, uh, regardless of who ends up uh, paying for that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's great that the lawyers are going to add a new a new uh, <laughs> penthouse suite to their to their houses. But um, but yeah, it's, th- that money could have been spent so much better. Before we move on, Leo, uh, any hint of an appeal from Vardy's side? Uh, no idea. Yeah, don't care. Probably not. What, what do you think? Will she appeal? Because, I mean, it's a bit like when you're, uh, when you're at the sort of crap table in Vegas, you're losing your money. You're like, well, I've got nothing to lose now. I'm just chuck <laughs> but it's, everything it's Jamie Vardy's money. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? Isn't it? But do you, might she appeal? I don't think she'll appeal. I think she will media appeal. Mm. So I think she will start doing the circuits and the magazines. Oh, yeah, the Harry and Meghan interview. Yeah, I think she'll try and win back the public, not the legal system. There Mm. you go. And she'll probably be working in a local Morrisons in the next uh, few weeks just to pay those legal bills. Nothing wrong with that. I love a good Morrisons. It's a more honest existence than what she's done so far. Too right. Well, we may be dealing with rising bills and hardship because of Russia's actions, but Saturday's Telegraph shows how much worse it is for Ukrainians, Leo. Yeah, so this really uh, encapsulates how uh, you know barbaric the Russian troops are, are behaving. So there's horrifying footage that's appeared that shows a Ukrainian prisoner of war being castrated by his Russian captors. Uh, this has emerged on pro-Kremlin social media channels on on Telegram, and uh, yeah, I mean it just shows the the you know the absolute depths of depravity and horror that, that are happening uh, with the Russian troops, and it's actually a sign of failure in Russia's armed forces. They're not disciplined, they're not well trained, they're not abiding by uh, the the you know rules of war, even even just the rules of sort of basic humanity and how, how you treat people. Uh, there's no discipline, they're stealing, they've been stealing from where they're occupying territory, they steal everything, you know, trainers and, and household appliances and ship them back home. But also they're they're scared. And I think when when soldiers commit atrocities like this, it's because they're they're fearful and they, so they've dehumanized the enemy and they're fearful of what the enemy's going to do uh, in reprisal to them. And that reprisal could be coming soon because uh, Ukraine has been uh, given these long-range, very accurate artillery weapons by the West and has been shooting uh, Russian supply uh, supply routes, shooting their uh, ammunition dumps and, and bridges um, to prepare for, for uh, retaking Kherson, which is uh, you know one of, the, one of the first major urban uh, areas that was, that was occupied by, by Russia uh, in, in the south of Ukraine. So uh, things, even though in, in the sort of Donbass area in the east, you know, it's, it's much more, it's in a sort of stalemate there, and you know, it's very tough for, for Ukraine to to retake that land. Uh, it looks like they're going to they're going to retake land in the south. Yeah, I, I mean, just a, an absolute nightmare, a horror show. And uh, Diane, let's have a look at uh, whether those sanctions on Putin are actually working. This in the mail. Well, uh, they are, which is wondrous. Uh, There is no path out of economic oblivion for Putin. Russia is losing financial war with the West, says the Daily Mail. Mm. So um, essentially, the imports and the exports are down. Um, They've got their their budget is in uh, a deficit for the first time in years. Uh, And they're making the deals that they are managing to make 
uh, with other countries are coming from a position of loss. And it means that because things aren't coming in, whatever they are managing to manufacture and send out is not very good. For example, Russian cars are now being made without ABS or airbags. <laughs> I've seen Russian driving videos on YouTube, so this is going to be an issue. Most of those videos end with somebody getting out of a Lada or some, you know, Soviet car yes. with a Kalashnikov and, uh, you know, exacting revenge. But now the Kalashnikovs won't work because they won't have, you know, firing pins or something that they used to yep. buy from the West. No triggers. Uh, <laughs> probably, they, I mean, well, if they do have it, if they're making any ammunition, they're firing it all at Ukraine, so mm. they can't export that. Um, Gosh, don't fly on any newly made Russian aircraft. They probably won't have altimeters or anything that indicates <laughs> or, or, how fast they're going. Or wings. But no wings. Yeah. Well, they, in fact, they found in the rocket motors of uh, rockets being fired over into Ukraine, so military weapons, because mm -hmm. uh, they can't get the microchips in Russia now because yeah. of the sanctions. So they've, they've found uh, microchips that have been taken out of dishwashers and things like that. <laughs> and, you know, the electrical components from, from just, just harvested from where they can get them. So, you know, even though Russia, at the moment, it's sort have run off a cliff and it's still treading in the air like Wiley Coyote, but it's, it's going to plummet at some point, according to this report, which is made in America. So, you know, how much can we believe that? Well, let's hope that happens soon. Now, before the break, uh, let's talk about mortgages for viewers who are lucky enough to own their own homes, basically anyone over 40. Saturday's Telegraph has a story about how next year could be a shock. Diane, tell me more. Yeah, we're approaching that kind of horrendous moment where kind of two things come together and bang. So uh, essentially, um, so there was the post-lockdown race for space. And uh, what's going to happen is, is that the cheap loan deals that people had are going to hit homeowners. And two million homeowners will be hit by a mortgage rate shock mm. uh, next year. So the Bank of England is pushing up its interest rates because it's trying to curb inflation. But also people's um, sort of fixed rate mortgage deals are coming to an end in 2023. And by the end of this year, they're predicting that, you know, um, inflation is going to be at its all time high at 11%. And the Bank of England might even shove sort of uh, those rates up. To, it's currently it's, it's had five consecutive rises and uh, currently it's on something like 1.25%. Uh, it could even increase as much as 3%. So in real terms, um, that means that, for example, if your mortgage was £400,000, mm. that means you're going to end up paying an extra £624 when you're paying off your mortgage. Uh, a so month? That's the rate. A month? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, the real issue here is that inflation is running at 11%, and that's the headline yes. rate. That's not including, you know, other things. So the real rate is probably higher than that. But interest rates are only like, what, 1.25%? That's an absolute nonsense. That means if you've saved money, that money is being stolen off you by inflation. Inflation, quantitative easing, when the government creates money and, and devalues the, the value of the money in circulation, uh, that means your, your savings are being taken off you. And if I'd known, well, I saved my money. If I'd known that savers were going to get punished like this, were going to get stolen from by the government, I would have like, got ridiculously you know, overblown, unrealistic mortgages and you know, got, got mortgaged up to my hilt and well, taken yeah. out loads of debt. Yeah, but the, some of the people who have got these mortgages are being... Uh, like. Uh, the guy says to them uh, at the end of the article, Andrew Montlake of a mortgage brochure. Oh, no, Lewis Shaw of Shaw Financial Services. He said, if the jump in payments is too much, you're better off 
selling your home rather than deal with these. Inc- your home might not become affordable. Yeah. But saying to people in that casual way, "Oh well, you might have to sell your home." Like moving home is one of the most stressful things you can do, right, Leo? Well, I moved home today. <laughs> fine, know. absolutely fine. I don't know what these babies are talking you about. Oh my god! The TV Honestly, show. what we need? Yeah, moved home, presented a TV show. I'm still here drinking some milk. Honestly, what we need? <laughs> like, I went to 2007. The financial crisis happened. I was like, "Oh my god! Thank God, some families are going to get." Evicted, and I could afford to buy their nice house and setting it on my own with all my money, and like it didn't happen. So hopefully this time round we're going to get some economic catastrophe, and those families will be out on their ear. Welcome back to Headliners. Your first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the brilliant comedians Leo Kurs and Diane Spencer. Now, let's have a look at Saturday's Telegraph. And we think uh, we've got it tough on social media, but let's spare a thought for those poor old weather forecasters. Leo. <laughs> well, sorry, I'm just, uh, I'm eating a Freddo, which um, due to inflation costs £6.80. But um, yeah, so meteorologists, which is a fancy word for weather people, weather men, weather women, uh, say they've been abused over heatwave advice by people telling them to get a grip. And by the way, this is online trolling. This isn't Harvey Weinstein level abuse. Um, But yeah, so basically they've been issuing, um, you know, red weather warnings, uh, which is nice and alliterative. But people have been complaining either that they're mentioning climate change too much, not mentioning climate change enough or uh, mentioning climate change in average amount. Um, So, yeah, they're they're getting they're getting uh, they're getting trolled by people. It's well, do you know something? I, I will never defend the trolls, Diane, because abusive comments are are not acceptable. That's not how we should do discourse. However, I think it's an inevitable consequence of conflating the weather with climate change. So what I think is, I think that the meteorologists should tell us what's going to happen with the weather. And I think that the climate change scientists and others can debate climate change. I think they should be separate. And I think the conflation is what's enraged people. I don't condone their actions, but I understand where they're coming from. Okay. No, I see what you mean. I mean, like, I also, I agree with you. I, I don't think trolls and being abusive to people online is ever okay. Um, but there's okay. a difference. Sometimes it's yeah, really funny. Yeah, that's because you're a troll. Yeah, but there's, <laughs> there's a difference between being um, abusive and being critical and mm. giving somebody feedback. And some of these things that they said, they, they, they were like, some of these, a load of rubbish, nanny state, Fake emergency, pathetic, absurd, fear-mongering nonsense. It's all just accurate. I'm not being weird, but like my parents say half that stuff to me, yeah. like on our weekly Skype. Like, it, really, you can't. It's so you're, you're saying that you couldn't really call that abuse, yeah, right? But you no, you can't call that abuse. I would say that is critical feedback on the way you're delivering. The weather. Yeah, this and is. I, and this I think is, that's good. This is getting more column inches in the Guardian than the Telford grooming gang scandal. Yeah, and that shows, you know, people like for some reason you notice it with police forces now as well. They'll scramble all units if somebody does a tweet, you know, misgendering someone. But if there's actual real life physical abuse, they're they're totally hands off. You won't see them. Well, yes, and and here's the thing, Leo. The public are sick of being lectured about COVID, about climate change, Mm. about energy. 
And I think this is what happens when yeah. you, when you, in my opinion, when you brainwash the population. Now, COVID, very, very nasty virus, fatal to a lot of people, very tragic. Lots of people, that many people lost their lives. But, but in relative terms, not the bubonic plague, but no. that's how it was characterised by the media. And I think now a lot of the public are punch drunk from, from, from uh, this... this uh, this, what would you call it, I suppose, catastrophization of yeah. everything? It's literally yeah. like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but now we've got, like, climate change, Brexit, pandemic, oh, yeah. and, I don't know, monkey sugar. <laughs> oh, yeah, but we've got monkeys. But it, what it is in terms of establishment media, uh, Diane, is it's the, the boy that cried wolf once too often. Well, yeah, and you've got scientists. I mean, you've got to be able to, to push back and query the science that we're handed because it's funded by someone. Like, all those scientists, you'll not notice it with the World Health Organization trying to make monkeypox into this, oh, oh my God, it's going to be a terrible pandemic. It's not. Just don't go to an orgy for a few weeks. You'll be Can fine. I just say I hugged you earlier and I felt lumps. <laughs> well, well, that wasn't monkeypox. You're hairier uh, than thank you were last week. I am, yeah, but <laughs> that's not monkeypox either. That is just my... Testosterone levels. Been eating a lot of bananas. But the um, but scientists scientists have an agenda. Scientists, you know, are paid. They get government grants or grants from you know foundations. Yeah. So they're they're basically you know that money. You're not going to tell me that money doesn't come with an agenda. Money. There's no such thing as a free lunch. No, too right. Uh, except at Pret a Manger on, on Monday between one and two. Okay, let's uh, move on now to uh, Metro Diane with news that the screws need to learn. Not bruise the cruise. <laughs> screws. So, according to the Metro, prison officers are given, quote, banter lessons, ugh, end quote, so they don't offend inmates. Oh, God. I am so sorry. Oh. But wait, wait, just, what's, what's next, really? <laughs> Joke writing, basket weaving, shall we all learn to dance in a circle? This is nuts. Like, okay, so there's a 1,000 capacity prison. And, um, oh, there were 51 complaints. Let me just put that in perspective. <laughs> That's 5% of the prison population complained about the conversations that they were having with staff. Um, and so now they have to have a banter workshop because you can't take the mick out of the football team. Someone supports. Oh, my God. Prisoners. Oh. And it's just conversation. And what now, prisoners? But it's not like they're a bunch of delicate people, like sat around doing sort of embroidery and then sort of... I'm disappointed they're not just like going around like beating them up with truncheons. <laughs> Instead it's like, you know, like I would actually be, it's prison. You're supposed to have a bad time. It's yeah. not supposed to be a fun I'm place where people care thing. about your feelings. If, people, if you want people to care about your feelings, maybe don't hurt their feelings by stealing their TV. How about that for a, for a concept? Well, you know, uh, prisoners are notoriously tight-assed, aren't they? Partly because there's half a, <laughs> half a pound of... You don't want it to fall out. Pain, yeah. <laughs> and a mobile there. phone. But look, I mean... It, I, I mean, this is, it feels like April Fool's Day, this story, doesn't it? Yeah, it's absolute, absolute nonsense. And, you know, and it's a continuation of the, the sort of war on fun, this war on banter. And banter is, you know, healthy. I hate using the word banter. It's so, so sort of naff. But, it's very you know, reductive. It's very reductive. But, it, it, like, it, the banter is what breaks down barriers between people and helps people get on and get through the day. And, uh, and now you've got, you know, all this sort of feelings legislation and feelings rules. And uh, we even saw, so Posey Parker, the gender-critical was visited at home by the police and they said she'd been untoward to paedophiles. And it's like, surely, if there's people you're allowed to be untoward to, it's paedophiles and inmates in a prison. 
You know what I mean? Come on, can we not just bring the old days back? Just the good bits from the old days? I'm not saying we should only have three TV channels, but we can at least be untoward to paedophiles and prison inmates can have a bad time. Well, the, the extreme nadir of wokeism is to actually say, oh, paedophiles must be respected for their sexual orientation. Yeah. That, that would be the kind of logical madness of wokeism. Yeah. And I think that's the direction we're heading in. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I was talking about it tonight on the, yeah. The... Go on. What, 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 what did you say? Well, we're seeing, you know, the, uh, the, the sort of introduction, the consistent introduction of uh, adult sexualized uh, themes and issues uh, into, so you've got, you know, Drag Queen Story Hour touring the UK. Uh, There's the Naked Family Sex Show, which is a, a naked sex show for children funded by the Arts Council. I'm not making this up. Uh, this was a good. primary school that was visited by a drag act called Miss Testicle. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> was, they weren't Ukrainian. Yeah, well, but no, I was, it was going to be me, but I, you know, I had a gig came up, I couldn't do it, so uh, testicle stepped in. Right. That's, well, you know, every, everyone's got it. You've got to have someone you go to. Well, at least now I know it was going to be you. It's less sexualized. I'm glad to hear it. Diane, you were going to say something before we got to that. Oh, no, I was just going to say that um, I feel that prisoners are not the best people to hang around with. And they're, they're very, it's difficult being in a prison. And I am for rehabilitation. I think that our prison system is broken. Yeah. But I, I think that sending the staff, like telling the staff off for trying to make the day pass a little bit easier, their jobs are not easy. Yeah. And like, it's like blaming the blame on the staff because they're having a little bit of a joke with the prisoners mm. and 5% complain. 5% is not enough to make a change. Yeah. I'm sorry, no. And it's removing the incentive to become a prison officer. I'd love to be a prison officer, you know, walking down all the rows of bars, banging my truncheon off them. Oh, You know, God. just like... I agree. <laughs> exerting my authority. Make, making, them, making them give me money so they can sell drugs in the prison. I'd love all that. You I agree. Need like a, you need, you'd need to shave and have like a porn stash. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be... And, you, and you're walking down... Uh, you're walking past those cells like Jodie Foster in yeah. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> mm. That iconic moment. Um, well, let's, uh, let's move on now, continuing the theme of unnecessary training. Tomorrow's Times with news of the biggest racists of all, civil servants, Leo. Yeah, I knew civil servants were racist, but luckily they, they have equality, diversity and inclusion departments to try and train them out of it. So there's a training video for civil servants at the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, which reportedly says that white civil servants should be aware of their privilege. It says, for many of us who are white or white passing, meaning that we're often identified as white in public spaces, the colour of our skin, our race or ethnicity has not had a negative impact on our lives. We call this white privilege. And it, it goes on, it's got various uh, levels of nonsense in it, uh, but the video ends up telling allies how to act as cheerleaders by shifting the spotlight onto a person of colour. So to, you know, to step back from the spotlight and give it to a person of colour, which is such patronising claptrap and so divisive. It's saying like, oh, I'm different from you. I've got this spotlight because of my skin colour. You don't have the same skin colour, so you need to be treated differently. And also it's suggesting that the people uh, that a different skin colour are somehow worse and like incapable of getting the spotlight themselves. It's absolute nonsense and you know I, I think we need to get rid of all equality, diversity and inclusion departments everywhere. We're facing a staff shortage. We're facing, we've got record low unemployment. These people are employed in these departments just dragging down corporations and organisations with uh, with you know nonsensical uh, training days. I mean if you've, if you've ever worked in, in the public sector you, you'll know what I'm talking about. I mean it's great 
great because you get free sandwiches, but you just sit there and vegetate for, for an afternoon. Uh, so just scrap all equality, diversity and inclusion and replace it with a motto that says, be a nice person. And there, we've solved the issue. Because most of this is, uh, apart from being reductive, is uh, completely counterproductive. Uh, so it, you know, it treats people differently and creates division. This, uh, they do say in the article that this video is nearly three years old uh, and that they are keeping it under review. But I do agree that, it, for example, it urges civil servants to follow commentators who are not white on social media. Now, I understand that, uh, but like, what happened to meritocracy? You know, you need to make sure that don't follow somebody just for the sake of their skin colour. That makes no sense. You, you need to actually listen to what people are saying. It, this entire um, video takes away the idea of meritocracy. Like you said, it assumes that, that a person who isn't white can't be a high achieving person by themselves. And I understand, like, they could express these things in a much more condensed way. If somebody's racist at work, call them out for it. Mm. Like, that's it. 100%. Yeah, because racism is bad. And that is, if, if somebody's going to be racist and you do need to put a rule in work, because people are different and some people well, are We've, we've got that. laws around that, but this isn't even about, you know, racism, active just simplify racism. Just it, it's what I'm saying. Like, this is just, this is about your, you know, your sort of subconscious thought and all the rest of it, which is, yeah, an absolute, I mean, it's creating divisions where they weren't there before. Yeah, and also it's saying that, um, like, if you, let's say that you've done well, but you happen to be white, oh, you've done well because of your privilege. Well, actually, no, you might have actually done well. Like, what does that say to sort of people who are white? It's, this is very divisive. Well, particularly when uh, attainment into uh, higher education is lowest among poor white kids, and therefore the answer is stop talking about colour, focus on inequality and poverty, and lift everyone as a society, all Brits, yeah. all brothers and sisters, you know, that's the thing. But as you pointed out, this woke ideology uh, isn't about uh, inclusion or community. Yeah. It's, it's about division and keeping us uh, angry and apart. I don't think we should focus on poverty either. I think, uh, you know, if people are poor, then sorry, not my, not my problem. You can deal with that as well, you know? How about everybody's just the same? And we uh, stop like dealing people out, you know, differently. There, there was very briefly another directive in this video, which was for anyone white to not contradict an ethnic person. So in other words, don't disagree with an ethnic person, which sounds to me racist towards an ethnic person. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's how it comes full circle, isn't it? That anti-racism, oh. as it's known, is profoundly racist. Yeah, absolutely. We all, we all knew it. It's about segregation and, and divisiveness. Sorry, I'm just like, my whole head is just like, <laughs> well, we don't want to listen. Well, let's put you back together like Humpty Dumpty as we get to our next story. And it's a story about uh, those in care, Diane, and how they should be treated in the mail today. Yeah, so grow, uh, the headline is, Growing up in care should become a legally protected characteristic, campaigners say. So um, what they're saying is that uh, essentially if you... Um, Cumberland Council is reviewing this. They're saying that if you grow up in care and you apply for a job, if people know that you've grown up in care, they're going to treat you differently. They're going to make assumptions about you. They're mm. going to go, oh, right, you grow up in care. That means that you clearly have a tattoo. That means the second I let you in my office, you're going to carve your name in my desk. You're going to wear a, a tracksuit. That's what you're going to do. And you are not going to be a hard worker. Well, and you've, you've met people who grew up in care before. <laughs> they're, they're making all these assumptions and they're like 
And so they're saying that you can actually do damage to people and it should be a protected status, like your race or your religion. And there should be a law saying that you can't discriminate against people who grow up in care, which I understand. I don't know, yeah. What, what do you well, think you about that? Well, you seem a bit half and half -ish. Well, I don't know. Well, well, what, about, what about people that grew up in a, in a family setting that was abusive? I mean, that, that's very suboptimal, isn't it? Yeah. But because they weren't in care, they don't get the special treatment. Yeah, but what about people whose goldfish died? I mean, where are we going to end? Is everyone, everyone going to be like, I've got male pattern baldness. Oh, no, I'm a protected characteristic. Where is everything going to be a protected characteristic? How about we scrap protected characteristics and everybody's protected? Well, yeah, but the thing, here you go. This is something. The people who get discriminated against the most, as we all know, ugly people. <laughs> there it is. If somebody comes in and you think, Whoa, then you're less likely to sort of give them a job because you don't want to walk around the office every day going, oh my God, I don't know where to look. So, like, they're a protected characteristic, which well, I understand. Well, look, Andrew Lloyd Webber still rose to the top. But are not these people, uh, these people who have grown up in care, they are some of the most vulnerable among society. I know you hate poor people, mm -hmm. but um, and sometimes other poor people should be helped. And, yeah. Yeah, but I think any time uh, people try to help other people, it ends in disaster. You know, it the, always end the most terrifying word. What about when Oxfam send their, their workers to Haiti and they end up uh, sexually exploiting refugees? I think um, there, there are no... happen every time. There are no more terrifying... Uh, uh, and I started shopping at Oxfam because of that. I thought, you know, great, finally they've gone evil. But no, there are no more terrifying words in the English language than... I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, briefly, is this not an extension, though, of the idea of victim culture? That everyone's being told they're a victim these days. Is that positive for society? I, yeah, it's definitely not positive to sort of say to people, oh, you're a victim, you should have sympathy, because it stops people from standing on their own two feet. It stops people from dressing themselves properly every morning, getting up, going to work and just dealing with it. I've seen people who have the perpetual victim mentality and they are flakes and they oh no, no, no and you just think oh for goodness sake just pull yourself together i'm like one of those people texting the weather people get a grip but at the same time i do understand that there may be people who judge you so mm, half and half I okay think i think that's the... that's a really really Fine. fair point and and uh you know i've spoken to many people uh, who have been in care on my program and it is a very very different and very challenging experience for for so many very very painful and it's amazing how so many have prevailed, including the Olympics legend Chris Akabusi, who told me his story on my programme just a few months ago. That's it for part two. <laughs>I'm Mark Dolan, and you're watching Headliners, your first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the dangerously talented Leo Kurs, powered by semi-skimmed milk. I'd like to thank uh, Daisy, the GB News cow, who, by the way, voted for Brexit. I've got very strong bones. <laughs> so I've heard. I've seen one of them. Um, and the wonderful Diane Spencer, who is dairy-free. Now, let's have a look at this story in Saturday's Daily Mail. And it's big news. Will Smith has apologised to Chris Rock. Take a look. I was fogged out by that point. It's, 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 it's all fuzzy. Chris, I apologize to you. Uh, my behavior was unacceptable and I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. 
Diane, are you buying the apology? No, and let me tell you why. Mm. He said, I've reached out to Chris and the message came back. He's not ready to talk. And when he is, he will reach out. Then, sir, you should not have made your public apology. You should have <clears throat> waited until Chris Rock reached out. But you didn't. You've disrespected him again, the same way that you disrespected him when you marched up mm. to him and smacked him around the face. Because a true apology, he would have respected Chris Rock. And he would have said, oh, OK, you're not ready to talk. I won't do it. But instead, he's done this great big, oh, woe is me, public speech. Oh, I feel bad about what I did because everybody thinks I'm horrible now. <laughs> so he's done this public display to try and make it right within his own soul because he knows that he was out of line and he can't live with the, the shade <coughs> guilt anymore. Well, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to sit in your mansion and feel <laughs> like crap because what you did was really, really wrong and this is just... No, I'm sorry, but I'm not accepting it. If he wanted a proper apology, he should have waited until Chris Rock was ready and he didn't. So to me, this is just a wrong on top of a wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's in a hole and he keeps digging, don't you think? Yeah, apologies are never for the benefit of the person who's been wronged. They're always for the benefit of the person making an apology, which is why I never apologise. But what's, what's interesting is uh, Will Smith is a Scientologist, and uh, in Scientology they enforce hierarchy through uh, slaps and through uh, sort of abusive power plays, you know, shouting and screaming like, like Tom Cruise does on set. There's a thing called the tone scale um, that somebody explained to me, and I've forgotten now because I've drank too much milk and I've got an ice cream headache, but uh, basically um, th this was a classic Scientology Scientology move. So I await my letter from the Scientology's lawyers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Good luck with that battle. That'll be worse than Wagatha Christie. Uh, well, that was in the Daily Mail. Uh, next up, sticking with the mail, an article about someone I'd very much like to introduce to my wife. <laughs> no, I think my wife would uh, batter her. Uh, so she's called Alisa Abduleva. Uh, she's a relationship expert, although I think that's, uh, that's what she says rather than what anybody else has said. She's prompted furious backlash after telling women they must be prepared to submit and surrender to men if they want to find a husband who will provide for them. Uh, so she did a, a viral video that's titled, Women Must Accept This About Men, racked up over 840,000 views. And uh, she says the key to finding a man who will provide and protect you is to learn how to res respect that men are authority. I don't know, how about providing for yourself? You're making these viral videos, obviously getting some Google, some YouTube advertising revenue. Like, provide for yourself. Women, women can work. Women can get jobs. They get paid the same as men. In fact, they get, they get paid slightly more if they don't have children. The, the gender uh, pay imbalance is a myth. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's an absolute, absolute nonsense. Um, I, I just think it's, it's the wrong message to be sending out. Oh, this is what you should do if you want a, a man to be a provider. Oh, it's such a, such a bad attitude to have. It's really Diane. naff, like, because I love buying my husband treats. I love taking him out. I love, like, sort of treating him like the king he is. And if this was true, <laughs> dominatrixes would never get any work. It's true. <laughs> they wouldn't indeed. OK, well, let's crack on now with Saturday's Times. And how about a trip to Bristol, Diane? Oh, I think we should go to Bristol. I love this. So um, campaigners, so strippers dance for joy. This is in The Times after Bristol Council rejects a ban on clubs. So uh, I uh, spoke about this uh, on this programme a while ago because Edinburgh um, passed a ruling that said that strippers couldn't take their clothes off, which is terrible because you're putting like a, a hundred people out of work. Mm. But Bristol um, have uh, the Bristol Sex Workers Collective 
have said we are screaming, crying, and throwing up with joy right now. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's healthy, um, but there we go. Uh, keep keep their weight down so they look good in the poll. Oh wow! So, <laughs> <laughs> um, they basically said that they're not going to uh, ban the strip clubs because uh, the Bristol Women's Voice were arguing that there should be a nil cap on strip clubs, so there should be no strip clubs in Bristol. Um, but what is wrong about this is that um, dancers, they are earning money and, and dancing, stripping, it is not the same as being a prostitute. Let's just be very clear about that. And um, it's about, it, 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 it really suits some people. Some I know three professional strippers. They are friends of mine and they love what they do. They love their job. They love their costumes. They love dancing. It suits them. It suits their working hours. And to have their job taken away, um, like the poor strippers in Edinburgh, by somebody who admitted they would never go to a strip club. Yeah. Why are you interfering in something you don't, you're not even And wouldn't be invited of? to come to a strip club because they're ugly. Like, this is the thing. It's, it's ugly women, ugly better women passing laws to prevent good-looking women from making making a living, you know, based on their looks, and it's it's completely regressive. It's anti-feminist. I'm a massive feminist when it comes to it comes to strippers. I, th I think, you know, if there's one there's one feminist right I want to maintain is is my right to support a single mother uh, one to one by by stuffing twenty pound notes into her g-string. And I think, you know, are we living in Gilead? Like Edinburgh, like basically banned strip clubs. It's it's disgusting. They're they're taking away work opportunities yeah. from from women. And then yeah. they're not all single mothers. And I. I will say that um, one lady Most called Scarlett, uh, she said um, that she, she said, I never thought I would be able to survive in a world designed for neurotypical, mentally well, able-bodied people. And she doesn't thrive in that environment, but she thrives in the stripping environment. A lot of them are crazy. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. <laughs> uh, speaking of crazy, can we move on to yes. the Express and Prince Harry, Diane? Yes. So um, essentially, Prince Harry has been mocked by Justice Samuel Alito. Um, he was one of the people who um, uh, overturned the Roe versus Wade uh, ruling. And what is interesting is that he said, oh, what really wounded me, what really wounded me, you know, he's hamming it up, was when the Duke of Sussex addressed the United Nations and seemed to compare the decision whose name may not be spoken. Wait, stop. Sir, I believe you've confused Harry with Harry Potter. Those two are not the same. He has clearly confused Roe versus Wade with, uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Dumbledore or something. No, not Dumbledore. Gandalf. Gandalf. Guy. There's some guy, Gandalf, but you can't Gandalf. say his oh, name. Oh, jeez, my husband was the body double for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. When you look at the back of his head, Voldemort. There we go. Um, yeah. So, Lucky I've, you. Yeah, I've bashed uh, <laughs> Voldemort in the back of a Nissan Micro. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so essentially, uh, the Duke of Sussex is being criticised for being overtly political. But Harry, what else have you got? Because you're not very skilled at anything else. We're still waiting for your Netflix series. We're still waiting mm. for your Spotify. So I guess sticking your nose into political affairs is the only thing you can do now because Meghan wants to be president. Yes. And also he says, Harry said, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy. And it's like, Harry, you've only got a voice because you were born a royal. You weren't <laughs> voted into office. You're the one. You're the assault on democracy. It's Remove yourself. Let someone else have the spotlight. And he's annoyed everyone in this country, gone to America, and he's now annoying half of America too. Yeah. It's really great. I think more than half.
Amazing. Who knew? Uh, we wouldn't want to pigeonhole you, Leo, but tomorrow's Metro has a story about something, and I hope I pronounced it right. It's called Iron Brew. Iron Brew, this is, this is right, and please don't pigeonhole me. Uh, there isn't enough space in there for a pigeon. So th- there's a mother uh, in Glasgow who was addicted to Iron Brew. Uh, she got addicted, um, and she was drinking an insane amount, uh, 20 20 cans a day. Uh, so during two years of lockdown and COVID restrictions where our iron, iron brew addiction really took off. I mean, I've got to be honest, Scottish people have been addicted to worse things than iron brew, but she, she drank nearly 15,000 cans of iron brew. So she consumed 94,000 grams of sugar and 450,000 milligrams of caffeine and spent £60 a week on 24 packs. Uh, so she, your recycling bin was overflowing with iron brew. Uh, she was uh, chain drinking a bit things took a serious turn when she was hospitalised after suffering dizzy spells, fainting and heart palpitations, which she, you know, presumed was, was, was connected to Was she mistaken for Donald Trump when she went into hospital? <laughs> no, it didn't change the, uh, the um, colour of her uh, skin or her gender. But she, she got uh, <laughs> hypnotism to kick the habit, which that just right? shows that hypnotism... I thought they took the sugar out of Iron Brew. Uh, that's sugar-free iron brew. Oh, I see. It's still so in the main the recipe is still the same, is yeah. it? Outrageous stuff. Mm. Uh, brilliant. Well, look, uh, folks, thank you for uh, a very, very lively look at tomorrow's papers. Of course, we're back again tomorrow. It's every night. We are stripped seven days a week on Headliners, so do make sure that you tune in tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.